This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with professional development phase lead at MK Dons, Lee Collier. He discusses how they support players in the transition from, from the PDP into the first team, how they assist players in designing sessions for purposeful practice, as well as how to create a positive learning and development environment. This podcast was also recorded over the internet, so it may sound a little different to normal. I hope you enjoy. Lee, thanks very much for doing this. First of all, I guess first question is, how is everything? What's it like being back on the grass and um, trying to get back to some normality, I guess? Uh, yeah, first, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's it's great to be back. You know, I think if you speak to the majority of coaches that you speak to on, on this podcast, it will say the same. It's great to be back on the grass with the players. Um, that's what we love doing as coaches, you know. It's great doing stuff away from the grass and stuff, but our, our work's on the grass with the players. So um, we've been back in eight weeks now. Um, so it's been a slow process. Um, obviously the protocols, what we can do with the players, how many players we can have at each time is so we played its part, but we, as it started to kind of free up and the, the protocols become a little bit less, um, we're starting to get into the rhythm now of working with a group. So, um, yeah, it's been great to be back. Um, players have been um, really receptive of getting back on the grass and working hard and getting back to some kind of normality, I suppose, of, a, of what a football season looks like. So, um, yeah, it's been a slow process to get to where we are today. But, yeah, we're, we're fully up and running now. So, yeah, you know, the season's off and running and we're in full flow. I guess for people that don't uh, know you or know your role, do you just want to explain kind of what your role is and what club you're at, etc.? Yeah, so I'm currently a lead professional development phase coach at MK Don's Football Club. So my role kind of um, filters between the under-18s and the under-23s group. Um, it's not really a fixed set 23s group that we have. It's more of um, we play in like the Central League. Uh, so that's mainly kind of a mix of between the under-18s and first-year pros and some of the senior pros that, you know, obviously need game time or coming back from injury. So... That's my role really is to develop the, the next, hopefully, batch of professional players within the club um, from the professional development phase. And how long have you been in that role? So I've been at the club since November of last year. Um, I went in, yeah, so beginning of December, I went into that role. Um, and obviously it was cut quite short by COVID. So it's been um, a bit stop-start. But yeah, hopefully now this is kind of settled a little bit. I can fully get into the role and, and move forward. I guess the challenge going into you know, a club like that, relatively new, um, trying to get well, hit, hit the ground running, if you like. Um, how was it when you first started in it? Was there anything that surprised you about the club or anything that, well, negative or positive? Um, no, not really. Um, I, I kind of went into the club before I got you know offered the position I did quite a lot of research around the club just so I knew kind of the infrastructure um what's gone on tried to find out what's gone on there before um in terms of players they developed and a little bit around um the academy and the system that they have there um they've only recently just had a new academy manager go in John Goodman who'd probably been there 
think about eight months before I went into the position. So there's been a lot of change there in the last 18 months, I'd say. Um, when I went into the role in November, uh, back in November, um, I probably inherited a group of players that were quite low on confidence. They'd had a not a great first half to the season. They'd lost every game bar one. Um, and some of the games that they had lost, they'd been beaten quite convincingly. Um, you know, I don't want to really go into how much, but you know, results are not, you know, we say that results are not the be end and, and end of, of player development, but you know, sometimes that does have an impact on players' mentality and the psychological side of, of things. So for me, the key was to go in and just kind of, um, more than anything, just kind of build an environment and try and build the confidence again in, within the players. And it was almost kind of like a, a clean slate mentality. Not that they have to prove to me that they are that kind of player, but it's a fresh start, new manager, new coach coming in, um, new philosophy in terms of what we were trying to do within the club. And it was just trying to get the players um, to feel at ease again, not play with that fear as such. So that was the first and foremost, the job that I, I did first when I went into the role was just to kind of get to know the players. I only had three weeks to work with them before the Christmas break. So I kind of used that time really more not to get the structure right within the group. Um, technically and tactically, it was more to get to know the players individually, get to know what makes them tick, makes to get uh, what makes them the player they are and what they feel that they need more of, um, which is going to hopefully put them in contention to get a first team contract in 18 months time. Um, so that was kind of the first um, part of what I did. That was kind and of the first. Did you, how did you go about gaining that information? Um, it was more of, uh, at the time I had um, an assistant coach, had a goalkeeping coach, had uh, the academy manager who, who would work with them in that first part of the season. So it was sitting down with them. You know, they probably knew a little bit more about the players than me. Um, so it was more kind of getting their information, kind of gauging of where they thought these players were in terms of their development. But then it was also sitting down with the players individually or it might be just sometimes during sessions, I probably didn't lead as much as I should have. Um, and that was more because I just wanted to kind of get eyes on each individual, which sometimes you miss when you're leading sessions. So it's more kind of just to see um, their mentality, how they dealt with things, good and bad. Um, what kind of, um, I would say, feedback they're receptive to most. Um, so it's more kind of just getting to know the individual. And sometimes the conversations weren't even to do with football. It was more just to do about their life, what they like to do outside of the club, um, where they see themselves in, you know, the short, medium and long-term goals, do you know what I mean? So it was kind of just to gauge of where they are um, and just get to know the individual as well. And then obviously try and piece it all together and bring it all together as, as one. Um, so I use that time really just to kind of make notes about the players, get to know the players, um, them to get to know me as well and how I work and what my expectation levels of them are. And yeah, it was just kind of the first building block was, was nothing really to do with football. It was just to build the relationship with the players because I only had a short space of time. And I thought before we break for Christmas, there's not really a lot of work I'm going to be able to do that's going to change anything. But what it just gave me time to do was to get to know the group um, and to get to know the environment and have what maybe needs to change 
to to kind of um, improve these players. When you're focusing in on that, did you let the players know that that was going to happen? Or did you just make a conscious decision to yourself, go, I'm not going to tell them, but this is what this three-week block is going to be about? Um, yeah. If I'm honest, I can't really remember if I did tell them. Uh, I don't think I did. I just said, look, I'm, I'm just going to kind of, it's more about them kind of, yeah, I don't think I did tell them, mate, if I'm honest. I think it was just a case of, I, ha I did get involved in little bits. I did take sessions. Um, but I don't, I didn't want to put them under any pressure. I think that's probably the reason why I did it. It was not to kind of, well, I'm not going to get involved because I'm going to be watching you as an individual. So I mean, and put them under, so I, I had to manage the situation where I'd go in a little bit, I'd come out a little bit, I'd go in a little bit and I'd come out. So it was just, again, that fine balance. Because I think sometimes if you tell the players, I'm not going to have an involvement in sessions. I'm going to take a step back and watch you and how you do certain things. I think that might have just added a bit more pressure to them. So some it may not have. Same, some may have just got on with it. Um, but if I, if I remember rightly, I didn't say anything. I just said, look, this three-week period is a real kind of get-to-know-each-other you know, period before we break for Christmas um, and have that break. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I just think I didn't really say anything. I just kind of just managed it and just balanced it off. And, you know, and also it was not just to get to know the players, it was to get to know the staff as well, you know, and see how they work and see what they do and see how they have an interaction with the group as well. So, yeah, it was a really, it was, it was a short space of time, but it was a, it was um, a productive period of time if, if that makes sense and were there any particular methods you used to try and improve confidence in the group because obviously that's one of the more challenging sides of coaching if you've got a player or players that you know are a bit low for whatever reason trying to get them to a stage where they feel comfortable to take risks or keep doing the right thing can be challenging was there any particular methods you used during that time uh I wouldn't say there was any particular method I used. It was just more of telling the players that it's, you know, what's gone on before we can't change, um, but we can very much have an impact on what happens going forward. So the sessions more were structured around them more coming into an environment where it was, um, it was freedom. So it was more kind of uh, quite a lot of small sided games, quite a lot of interaction, quite a lot of, um, fun stuff of them as such you know serious fun but it was almost kind of come in and enjoy training again come in and enjoy the environment um you know I, I knew already what was going to happen after Christmas and how I was going to structure that moving forwards and how I'd seen us playing within the academy philosophy but that that three-week period was more of just coming in it's a clean slate we can't affect what's happened the last four months but we can very much have an impact on what's going forwards. And I think we had one game left before Cambridge. And I just went in and spoke to the players and speak about anything tactically. I just said, just go out and enjoy the game today. Whatever happens, happens. But I'm not looking at this as the start. I'm looking at this as just go and enjoy the game. And then from Christmas or after we come back after the break, that's when the serious work starts. So it was more just kind of build the environment for the players to say, okay, you know, we can come in, not play with any fear, enjoy the game, enjoy training for the next couple of weeks. And then, you know, but I just kept reinforcing it, just kept reinforcing it every day. Enjoy training, play with a smile on your face, train with a smile on your face. If things don't go well, just react in the right way. Um, 
you know, I'm not going to shout and scream at you if, if things are not going right. But what I want to see is the mentality start to change, you know, and if we can do that individually and a collective, we'll only go in one direction and that's up. And were so, they receptive to that? Yeah, they were, you know, and, and to be fair to the group that I work with there, they're really, they're a fantastic group to work with, you know, and, and that's been the same at, of all the clubs I've worked at. I've always felt that the group that I've always worked with, you know, you have one or two that challenge you and that's football, but especially where I am in my current role, they're a really, really good group um, to work with and they want to learn, they want to get better. Um, and I think they, they, there was nowhere else they could go. Do you know what I mean? They were at pretty much rock bottom in terms of their confidence and that was nobody else's fault. It was just the way it, it was. Do you know what I mean? And that's no blame on any coaches or any staff, but it was just the way we were at the, at the current situation. And it was just a case of the only way they could see was, was forwards and upwards. So that was just kept, there was no real method behind it. You know, it was just kind of speaking to the players individually, just saying, look, you know, you are a good player. This is why you're here. We just need to see a little bit more of certain things from you. And just start to nail down a little bit more specific stuff that I wanted from the individual going forwards and also as a collective. So yeah, it was, you know, you could use all the techniques, methods um, that, you know, are out there at the moment, but it's just sometimes just conversation, you know, and that's, that's sometimes it's all that's needed. It's just the players that feel, feel wanted if just by having just a normal conversation with them and, you know, just finding out a little bit more about, you know, you, you know yourself. If you just ask a player sometimes, or how was your day? What have you been doing? They're like, what? You know, it's almost having a conversation with me about something from football and you think yeah you know this is what it's about and um yeah so i'd say there was no real method right it was just a case of just talking to the players and reinforcing things every day you know and building a consistent um environment where it was the same messages every day so obviously as you've alluded to there you're kind of moving into phase two if you like when you've come back after christmas what did that look like um, I guess you've mentioned it being slightly more technical and tactical, but um, other factors around it, was there a change in environment, mentality and stuff? What did that look like for you guys then? Uh, yeah, so um, when I started to build, so like I said, I, I probably had something, well, I had in mind what I wanted to do after the, after the break, when we come back the very first day. Um, I had a way of um, how I'd seen us playing within the philosophy of the football club and the academy so it wasn't just right it's going to be my way and that's it um and it was just giving them a little bit more structure so structure in the week so i think it was one of the very first days we came back in we sat down as a group um and i just went through the week um so it was very very simple it was just how the week's going to look um so it was we build around um, quite a structured week so it's, we're trying to, what we've tried to do is give it a balance between individual development and unit development and team development. So they're getting a, a kind of fine balance across the board a week. So straight away a Monday would be, because it's obviously a startup day, is what we call as a startup day or, a, you know, um, what is it, a match day plus two, you know, the technical term for it. Um, it was an individual and unit day. So it was, it was very much uh, myself, my assistant coach, the goalkeeping coach would take 
a unit each and we would do an hour's work with them individually and as a unit. So it was more kind of, but everything was structured around the philosophy, but also developing the individual. Um, then a Tuesday we would work in possession. In the, so it was always a little bit with um, the opponent in mind, but very much of how we're going to play in possession. So that's how we did it. Um, we structured the week a little bit different this year, and I'll probably come to that, but on a, we'd have a Wednesday off the boys would have college, then on a Thursday they'd come back in, and then we'd work on out of possession, of how we're going to play and what we're going to look like out of possession. And then a Friday would be like a recap across the week and set plays. And then it would be, that would be our week, and then we'd have a game on the Saturday. So straight away, there was structure for the players. This is what the week's going to look like. Um, that was first and foremost. Then, on top of that, um, I wanted to get uh, the behaviours within the group right. So it was something that I got from my time at Reading, um, and I've taken it with me to MK. And it was very much um, a player behaviours project. So sat the players down in groups in their units and they had a sheet of paper and it was um, what we expect our behaviours to be within the football club as a group. But they lead it. They put it down on the paper. So it was um, exceptional. You've probably heard of it. Exceptional, acceptable and unacceptable behaviours. And it was across all kind of things that we cover within the academy. So it was around education. It was around the medical. It was around the environment, dressing rooms, equipment what's exceptional behaviours around these. So they would put in four or five points on each each um, section as such. So all of a sudden they would put what's acceptable. So they would put that, whatever they thought was acceptable behaviour within these and what's unacceptable. So we do a lot around huddle and um, analysis with the players. So it was almost... I'm kind of putting the environment together how we want it, but also they're accountable for it as well. So there's shared ownership as such. So straight away there was that. So they, they led that, they put it all up and we put it all up in the dressing rooms and at the club and stuff. So straight away we're, we're building an environment off the pitch. Um, then it was around um, player development. So like I said, I just touched on a lot of analysis work. Um, so on a Monday, we would do unit analysis. So what we do is we get a camera, set it up, and on the, the games would get sent to the players on the Sunday. And they would get together in their groups on huddle, and they would put together their clips of that unit the Saturday. What they did well, and what they need to get better at as a unit. And then what we would do is on a Monday, we'd sit down with the units, uh, the same staff. We'd pick a unit each, sit down with them, and they would present back to us on the big screen and we would record it and film it. And then it's updated onto their PMA and up to Huddle and stuff like that. On a Tuesday then we would do um, a team meeting and go through the clips from the Saturday. And that was very much led by the coaches. The players would feed back, but we would lead it. So that was our turn to lead. And then on the, Wednesday, uh, the Thursday and the Friday, we'd have individual meetings. So the players would have individual meetings with the coaches for 10 minutes sit down, put it on the screen. These would be also recorded as well. And then it would be, they feed back to us and we just keep probing them, asking them questions. So straight away, we were trying to get the balance across the week, more interaction with them, more times, you know, a lot of individual development, a lot of unit development and a lot of team development. So we're giving them a balance across the week. Um, 
and that's how we started to structure it. You know, so we would we had a way of playing, we had a way of play, developing the individual, but also there was a lot of other stuff that was adding on to it. So we were just making their week as full as we can. Um, so cut so yeah. I will come back to development stuff because I think it's interesting to hear your thoughts on kind of individual development at those age groups. Um, one thing going back to the exceptional, acceptable and unacceptable behaviours, how do you go about skillfully challenging players on those? Because I imagine at times they are going to start trying to flirt with the unacceptable section yeah. if you allow them to. And like a, a simple example might be if you're asking your group or unit to do clips on a Sunday, it might end up with the same person does the clips every single Sunday and then the rest of them just kind of skim off the top of that, if you like. So that might be an example. But how do you go about challenging that within that environment? Um, sometimes it's got to be a little bit of tough love. You know what I mean? So it's, you have to come down on them a little bit. You know, it's ultimately it's, it's down to the player. You know, they'll get out of their development what they put into it. So... It doesn't necessarily always going to make you a professional footballer, but it's just about setting your standards as high as you possibly can. So in terms of how we deal with it is, if you don't, if you don't um, do your clips, so if an individual doesn't do their clips that week, that's down to them. Do you know what I mean? I'm very fortunate that every player does their clips because they want the feedback. Players want to be fed back to. You know, you know yourself, you, you know, you work with players. Players love to be fed back to. Some don't, and some will not get involved in it. But at the same time, the vast majority of players that I've worked with over my coaching career want feedback. Um, and some react well to sometimes when it's not the feedback they want to hear, and some do. But I think as long as it's put in the right way and it's challenging them and it's, um, it's not something that's going to, um, how can I say it? it's not going to be saying that they're worried about or it's going to affect them in a different way. Then that's, that's the skill as a coach, how you word it and how you phrase it. So for me, it's how do we challenge the players? Well, um, ultimately it's, it's down to them. If they don't want to do it, we don't, we don't kind of force them to do it. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not, we keep on top of it. Do you know what I mean? But it's not something where it's right. Your clips have got to be done. If you don't do this then you're not going to play Saturday. It's very much if you don't do them or you only produce one clip or two clips, then you're, you're the one missing out, you know, and that's, we ask for a minimum of uh, three in possession, three out of possession and two on the transition. So that's all we ask for from these players. Now we say, if you want to do more, you can do more. If you do less, that's your choice. But ultimately when it comes to decision time and decisions are being made on you and you don't feel that you've made a necessary development, well, that's down to you. You know, you didn't do the clips. You didn't want the feedback. So ultimately, you're the one that's going to not suffer, but it could have a big impact on, on you moving forward and getting better. Um, and since we've implemented that kind of um, environment, because that's the key word for me, I think, is the environment. It's, it's that very much in the player's hands what they do. You know, we do what we need to do because that's what we do as coaches we get on the grass with them, we coach them and that's our job and we'll never come away from that. But sometimes it's about when it's not that, we've got to give the ownership to the players. You know, and, we've, and this is a big thing that you hear quite a lot. A lot of it's got to be ownership, player ownership. 
it's not down to me. I've just put this structure in place for you to try and improve you and try to give you another tool to improve with. But if you choose not to take that, that's, that's entirely down to you, you know, and sometimes the players might get through without it. They might go on to have a career in it. So you just never know. But as long as it's there for them and it's something else for them to develop and watch themselves and develop by, then, then, that, then that's all we can do. You know, and that's kind of, it's finding the balance between us leading it and us telling them and then them taking ownership as well. And would you say that correlates to on the field as well when you're training and like standards and stuff on the pitch as well? Yeah. Um, I, I can give you an example. I think it was last season. Um, my pet hate is watching players that are late or a minute late to training and they walk over. That's kind of quite a pet hate for me. Um, and sometimes they don't understand that players, do you know what I mean? Especially young players of, I don't think they mean to be late, but they just don't understand of, look, you're going to be late sometimes. Something might happen on the way into training or you might get stuck in traffic. But I was always taught as a player, run over, make it look like you want to be here. So sometimes it's skillfully of setting the environment of when it very first happened, I, I stopped the group as a whole. And I didn't make an example of the player it was. I just said to him, uh, said to the players, lateness will not be accepted in this group. If you're a minute late to the session, then you won't train. It's as simple as that. Because I'm trying to, they wouldn't, if it was the first team manager taking them in the first team or they were training with the first team, I can guarantee they'll be there 15 minutes before. So if you're going to do it there, don't do it with me here. Okay. And that's, I didn't make an example of the player. I did it as a group. So the next bit is if it's the same player doing it or another player's late, then it's how I go about letting them know it's not acceptable. And that might be just a chat. But the group know that timekeeping won't be accepted or balls that are not pumped up. If it's your group this week doing the jobs, make sure the balls are clean and make sure the balls are pumped up every day. So you're accountable. So if it's more of... Give, so we've put them in these ownership groups as well. So the groups that I'm talking about, these behaviour groups, we've put them in groups as well. So basically they have a leader of each group and they share the responsibilities for one week. So they're on jobs that week. The leader will lead it and the rest will follow as such, but not to the extent of they all have ownership within that group. But what we're trying to do is if someone's not pulling their weight or not doing the jobs right or not doing what they should be, it's down to that group to manage them, not us. You know, we'll deal with it if it goes above and beyond where they can't control it. But what we want to do is try and build, you know, it's quite a big word, but how do you build leaders? How do you build players that take responsibility? You know, and it's, we, we make sure it's done in the right way. It's not where it goes, you know, it goes above and beyond, but sometimes it may just need a player to say, come on, you're not doing this right. For me as a player, I hated letting my teammates down if I thought that I wasn't pulling my weight. So if a teammate said to me, come on, you need to do more, I'm thinking I'm letting my teammates down here. So that's the kind of mentality that I want them to build. It's I'm not letting the manager down or the coach down. I'm letting my teammates down here by not pulling my weight, whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch. So it's more kind of... Go on, no, go on. I was going to say, so there must have been an example maybe with the footballs where you've turned up for the session and half of them are flat or something like that. How did that conversation go? Because I imagine you um, know which group are going to be in charge and all that type of stuff. 
yeah. So again, it's, I think it's more not doing it in front of the group. Um, it's more doing it with the group who's involved in that process as such to say, this is not acceptable and this is not what we expect in terms of our standards. Because ultimately, you've got to train with these footballs and you'll be the ones that moan that they're flat. So all you need to do is just make sure your jobs are done every day. The standards that you want, you don't want to train with flat footballs. You want to train with the footballs pumped up. You want to train without every day. Do you know what I mean? And it's, it, it's a real complex way of, right, who within that group is going to take the criticism sometimes or going to take it the right way or the wrong way. So it's how you word it. But for me, it's just about, look, don't get me wrong. It's, it's not happened. I don't think it's happened since I've been there. Do you know what I mean? But now and again, we do have these moments where they do kind of fall below it a little bit. Not so far where they can't deal with it, but, you know, sometimes it, they'll leave something open or they'll forget to bring something out. The water bottle sometimes forget to come out because, so it's just, it's just kind of reinforcing it every day. It's making sure that the jobs are done. And I'm talking about, you know, jobs in and around it, but just the general standards when they're not at the football club, when they're highly represent themselves, what they do in their time between coming to the club in the morning, what they're eating, what they're, how much they're sleeping at night. All we try and do is give them the best possible environment we can with the tools we have, because we're not blessed with, you know, what a Premier League club has. You know, we, we, we are what we are as a football club. Um, so we have to give them the best environment we can and the best opportunities that we can give them to get them over the line after their two years as a scholar um, and, and put them in contention for a first team contract. Um, and also we're on the same site as what the first team are. So the first team manager is there every day. So he'll see who comes in late. He'll see who's um, not got the right mentality. He'll see all that. Um, he'll, because we, we were at the stadium quite a bit as well. So we, you know, before COVID at the moment, we're not. But before COVID hit and, you know, what's going on, we were very much at the stadium with the first team as well. He gets to see how they conduct themselves around the stadium and who's doing what. So there's always people watching, you know. And I say, even when you think I'm not watching, I'm watching. So sometimes I'm not even look at what's going on with the football. I'm watching at what you're doing as an individual, how you're reacting to certain things. So, um, yeah, it's... It has its own challenges, but, you know, as long as you set the environment and as long as they agree to that, that's why we're doing this behaviour stuff, is because they agree to it. They're putting these down. It's because it's not me setting it. I'm not saying you have to do this every day. It's the player setting it. So now we're giving them, if they do fall below what they think is exceptional or acceptable, then you can say, well, you've put this, you as a group have put this as, this is what's acceptable and you're going into this unacceptable um, corner so you're the ones that have said it and you're not setting and you're not abiding to what you believe in so you know where where's the common ground so we we are very much you know we we step in when we feel we need to step in when it's when we feel that it's not being abided to but to be fair to the players they do abide with it every day you know the equipment's away the, the equipment cupboard's tidy they make sure everything's clean. They make sure they're a really good group to work with. And we start to see the leaders this year. So the group that I had at the end of last season were mainly first years. 
but now they're going into their second year scholarship and now they're starting to understand and some of them have been with the first team during pre-season spending quite a large portion of pre-season with them so then they get to see what the standards are like in the real world so they've come back down now into my group and they've gone an extra 10% in terms of how they apply themselves within sessions how they look after themselves what they do when they practice individually what they do within that and it's purposeful now so yeah it's it's been um yeah I, I think kind of to answer the question it's 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 more kind of them it's them to keep their standards as high as they possibly can and we just manage it we just look after it and have you seen it transfer to the pitch so have you seen like on the pitch you've seen more leadership or more accountability between players and all that type of stuff yeah um i'm not, I'm not going to say you know like I, I probably when i started it was a group that was quite low on confidence when i went into the role and even when we came back after new year um it was still quite tough the first three games um, because it was still quite new and it was still building stuff and it was still um, building the foundations and building blocks to get to where we thought we were. So um, it was quite tough. It was still quite tough. Um, I'm, I'm not going to lie about that. It wasn't an instant success and we started to move forwards really quickly. It, you know, it was still kind of small, but every day you could see improvement. Every day you could see it getting better. Every day you could start to see structure within them and learning taking place. And then I think we got to about the middle of February, maybe the beginning of February, and we start to see a real turn in performances, um, in the intensity, uh, in the way the players worked. The only thing we probably were lacking was a little bit of, again, these keywords, that robustness. Um, the academy's always been known as a really good footballing academy, you know, the philosophy. But one thing it's maybe lacked over the years is um, that word robustness, that kind of um, steeliness that you need sometimes that other maybe academies have had. Um, so we were finding that we were in games, but all of a sudden physically we couldn't deal with with teams because they were physically stronger than us maybe at times a little bit fitter than us so again we had to structure the week and add bits in where we start to build this up a bit more um yeah so i think we got to about in the middle of february and we really turned the corner um and then covid hit so we were just starting to make a real um a real kind of adjustment um a real kind of turn in our performance real positive turn to move forwards as such and you know obviously then covid hit and it kind of stopped us in our tracks but the signs were there before we we stopped that we were going very much in the right direction um and obviously then it, it hit and we we didn't come back for six months but you know like i said the pre-season now has been quite a challenging one but the last three or four weeks since the boys have come back from the first team group we've had a real shift again so hopefully you know touch wood that we're moving in the right direction but we're not going to get too ahead of ourselves. We've still got an incredible amount of work to do to get the players up to the level. Um, and that will never stop. We'll keep striving every day to improve these players. Um, you know, we haven't cracked it. It, hasn't, it isn't now where we are where we are. We want to be better every day. Um, and again, that's what we challenge the players every day, to come in and be better than what you were yesterday. Um, and we'll try and help you with that. 
So in terms of your club philosophy or style of play and stuff, what does that entail for you guys? What what if I was to come and watch your game, for example, what would I expect to see? Um, we want to we want players to be. Um, it's been a bit of a shift in the mentality of what we're looking for as players. So we want players to feel comfortable in possession of the football. The first team manager wants players to be comfortable on the football and they play a certain way. Um, and we have a, uh, our, our philosophy is very much in line with the first team manager's philosophy of how he wants the game to be played and how he sees what he does at the, his level or what he does with his squad is very much in line to what we do, which is good. So it's a start. Um, for us, we want to be possession-based, but with a purpose. So we don't want to just pass the ball for the sake of it. There has to be a purpose with it. And it's the when, and we work a lot around the when and where. So when do we stay on it? When do we play in behind? Or when do we look to link and play free? So we have a way of playing, but it's very much, um, this is it's very much not scenario based, I'd say, but it's very much if this happens here, what could we do there? If they come onto us here and we draw them down and they put us under pressure, where do we go now? What could we do now? And what are we looking at? If they drop off and sit off us, what do we do now? Do you know what I mean? But we do have a certain way of playing and we want players to receive under the pressure and we want players to receive on the half turn. So we are very much possession based, but also. Um, so we, we work off this um, build, create and finish going up the pitch. Um, and then we work off deny, delay and dictate. So I mean, so it's very much very basic. It's not something that's any different to a lot of clubs do, but we have a way of, of doing it. Um, and that's kind of, yeah. So I think if you were to come and watch us tomorrow, that's what you'd see. It's we want to play a possession based football, but it's got to be with a purpose. It's not just for the sake of it. Um, and it's very much getting players to feel comfortable in possession, but there's got to be a purpose to what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? It's not just keeping the ball for the sake of it. And is that something that's been in the academy for a while? Or is that something that's come in with a new academy manager or newish academy manager? Um, so, yeah, the, the academy manager has put this in place with the head of coaching. Um, and it's, it is new. Um, I can't say what it looked like before. Um, before John came into the role so I, I can't comment on that but he's very much um, he wants players to be on the football he wants the best players in the team to be on the football so we need to get them on the football as quickly as possible um, and that's what he wants you know and that's what we want we want the best players and we want every player to feel comfortable on the football you know um, the first team manager talks about players that can wriggle wrigglers um, so we have to pretty get players that feel comfortable in 1v1 situations, um, outnumbered, you know, 1v2 situations and how they solve problems with that. So there's a lot of things that have been put in place since John's come in and, and for the for the good. Um, so we have a certain way of playing all the way through the, the age groups and how he sees that, how we're going to produce the best players. And that's that's very much you know, where we are, it's, it's nothing any different probably to what a lot of academies do, what you'd see all around the country. It's not rocket science. It's not anything out of the ordinary. It's just very much um, developing the individual to feel comfortable on the football and make appropriate decisions at the appropriate time. Do you have set formations you have to adhere to or can you? Um, 
agree with that. Yeah, there's a set way of playing in the younger age groups. There's a little bit more freedom with my group. Um, we do have a way of playing, um, a set formation, but there is an element of flexibility within that. So what we've tried to do this year, we had one way of playing last year because it was only a short space of time to really kind of change anything. So we stuck with what we do. Um, but this year now we've, we've put in another formation. So it's making the players a little bit more flexible um, and giving them another way of playing. You know, and I think sometimes that's quite important because some players are in the academy system from nine years old to 21 and all they've done is play the same system, the same way. So they get into the first team or they leave the club and go somewhere else and all of a sudden, new manager, new environment, new formation, something that they've never seen before or understand before and it takes a little bit of time for them to get up to speed. Um, so for me, I've always been quite a big, um, not fan, I'd say, but just I've always been quite uh, conscious of players playing in different, we talk about players playing in different positions, and rightly so, but also what about players that play in different formations? So I'm not saying every week change the formation from one formation to another, but just giving them something different, you know, because you might find somebody reacts and plays better in a certain formation and you might get a gem out of that that might have played in one position but you tweak it a bit and put them somewhere else and it just ignites them a little bit more so we play we've we've gone with two formations this year and we've started with one and now we're starting to implement the other one and so hopefully by you know the next couple of weeks we'll be in a position where if it's not working for us in certain scenarios we can switch and the players feel comfortable in the switch and know their roles and responsibilities. And have you had any challenges in terms of lads coming through the system that maybe either haven't played this new formation like you're discussing, or the changing philosophy is new for them as well? Because um, I know what, what can happen at points is, you know, people might go from maybe being more pass and then they go to a team where it's more direct and they're not used to it or the other way around where they play for a team that traditionally goes more direct then when you're asking them to pass into the four they're a bit like not sure, <laughs> not sure about this so have you had any challenges in terms of lads finding real difficulty in changing formation or changing the style of play um it's a good question i'm just trying to think if i have i don't think i've had players that have struggled as such but I've had players that have asked questions and not sure about, and that goes back to an environment where, you know, you, you know yourself, when you're a player, sometimes when you're told something by the manager, you take it literally, you know, and you don't question it. And, and sometimes, and, and rightly so, because they are the manager, it's the way they want to play and you have to abide by that. Because if you don't, then you don't play. What I'm trying to create at, at, at MK is an environment where players have to, have to accept there is a way of playing have to understand that this is the way the club want to play it's not not necessarily you know the coaches uh, you know telling them how to do it it's the way they do it and we we coach within that that's the way the club see that formation and that's the way it is and, and rightly so what we have to say what we have to do within that environment is get the players to, well, the players to feel free that they can ask questions and challenge in the right way so not so much, well, I'm not doing that because I don't believe in it. Why am I doing this? Because why, how is this going to benefit me? 
So I can go back to an instant 24 hours ago at training. Um, we were working on a, a new formation, new way. And um, we played it on Saturday and we watched the game back yesterday morning. And there was some elements of the game where um, I thought I needed to address. Um, and we did it yesterday in, in the session. So I, we watched the clips back. Uh, we watched the game. The players asked questions. I asked players to the question to ask the players questions during the clips. I didn't really talk a lot. I just said uh, I might have just said to somebody what what was happening here. What how do we deal with this scenario better? So we went out and we took the clips. What we needed to work on into the session yesterday. And at the end of the session, we called them all in. I spoke to them and I just said, look, what what do you how do you feel about that? How do you feel there? Are you happy with what you've just done? Do you understand why you've just been, we've just done that and the reasons behind why we've just done that? And one of the players said, I think we're, we're still too deep. And I was okay, fine. For me, that's not somebody being a maverick and challenging in the wrong way. That's just them saying, I'm getting my opinion of this is how I feel within this. And I was like, brilliant, perfect. Because what you don't want is, well, are you happy with that? And players go, yeah, I'm really happy with that. And they're not, or they don't understand. And sometimes that's where we get lost. And maybe that's an ego thing sometimes with coaches, that their way is the only way. If, if you, why are you challenging me? Why are you saying that? It's, this is what I'm telling you to do. You abide by it and you do it. Some aspects, you do have to have that mentality as a coach. But on other other side of it, don't be afraid to be challenged. Don't be afraid to have players say, well, why are we doing that? Because all of a sudden it sparked up conversation. So I said, okay, because we worked with a midfield three and we didn't work with two forwards yesterday because they weren't part of the group. I'm, I just said to him, imagine there, you're going to have two players ahead of you. So you're not going to be that deep. We're going to have this. So I explained the scenario and the situation. Then all of a sudden he asked another question and I was like, brilliant. This is what I want because now I can get, I can get the reasons why we're doing it. Then all of a sudden... Someone else asks something. So all of a sudden it starts conversation. And sometimes it's not me that's involved in the conversation. There might be two players talking. So now all of a sudden you've built an environment for the players where they can ask the questions in the right way, in the right manner, but it's giving them an understanding. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes we say, we, we put all this in place for the players. It comes to match day and they can't put it in there because they've said yes on a, on a Friday to understanding what they're doing on a Saturday, they still don't understand because they don't want to speak up. Well, for me, I'm a kind of, and I'm sure there's hundreds of coaches like that, in, you know, at clubs and across the country that I don't mind when players speak. I want them to speak. I want them to say, well, I don't understand that. Why am I doing that? Or I still think that we're not doing this right. Or I still think like the question came to me yesterday. I still think we're too deep here. We're too deep if we don't do this. And I'm like, brilliant. This is what I want. This is what I want the players to have this environment where they can come in and feel free to speak, you know, and as long as it's done in the right way, you know, and even if they're not sure in front of the group, because you'll have players that won't speak in front of the group, that they can still approach you one-to-one -one and say, look, because again, when the session finished yesterday and they went off, one player came to me and said, I'm still not quite sure about certain bits. So when the ball goes there, where do I need to be? And I thought, brilliant. Now a player want, it feels comfortable enough to come to me and say, I'm not sure about my role here. What do I do here? So I'm like, okay. Now I'm looking at myself saying, did I explain that well enough to him? Did I give him enough detail? Did I spend enough time focusing on him? So all of a sudden I'm questioning myself as a coach 
challenging myself, that's going to improve me more as a coach because he's brought that to my attention. And all of a sudden now, we've got an environment where the players know that they can come in and they can ask the questions, you know. And I don't want the environment where when you ask a question, everyone's silent. Yeah, I'm happy with that, you know. Some people will be. Some players will be like, yeah, I'm happy with that. I just want to get off. You know, you get that at first team level. But it, it shows that, again, that we're, we're going in the right direction slowly. You know, it's not, again, by at all means that it's, it's cracked. We've done it. We've got this environment. It's drip feeding it every day that the players get this, get this environment. I think ultimately it obviously comes down to their development and developing the way they feel comfortable. You might have some lads that are happy to question in front of the group and will not have it out, but they're happy to have confrontation about certain principles or ideas to then get the outcome. Whereas you will have others that don't want that confrontation, but actually still need support in their own way in terms of it might be clips or it might be round mannequins where they work on it. It might just be you and him just standing out there for 10 minutes and he goes, right, I understand what you've said perfectly now because it's a 10-minute conversation. And I guess like you said there, this, the skill of the coach is identifying which players like that feedback and how they like the feedback and just making sure everyone's got the support that they're seeking. Yeah, and I think the um, I've, I've seen a real big change in, in the players' um, I suppose mentality of when we have these individual meetings in the week because it's it's you and the player, it's within the four walls, it's very much about them, so it's not about anybody else. The, the focus of the meetings that are only ten minutes is very much about them, so they feel free that they can speak freely within these meetings. Um, and some players that you who are really quiet on training days on match day you know you get a lot out of them within these 10-15 minutes that you think wow I didn't realise they had a voice do you know what I mean it's, that's where it is sometimes and you think I've never heard him speak that much before but again it's they don't, they don't feel sometimes talking in front of their peers and in front of their mates and but they will talk as an individual do you know what I mean so I find these meetings to be really beneficial um and again, it's a case of getting to know how the player works, what they feel comfortable say, speaking about, what they want to speak about. Um, so again, these meetings are very much, we lead some of it, but it's very much about their their own development and where they see themselves at that current time. And again, we, we just added it. So our, I said, uh, go back to what I said, earlier, we've restructured our week a little bit. So we, we go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday now. And on a Wednesday, it's a double session. So in the afternoon, um, it's individual development for an hour and 15 minutes and it's player led. So I will go out and facilitate it. So what we do on a Monday, it's coach led the individual stuff. And it's, it's more to, it is about developing the players and giving them opportunities to work on uh, their individual stuff, not just what they need developing on, but also what they're good at becoming a master of what they're good at. And, um, but so it's more also, how they see the stretch sessions being structured and put together. So it's not just for a striker, go out and smash 50 balls down the middle of the goal. You know, for us, it's giving them 50 chances, but from different parts of the 18-yard box. So it's just repetition. So 
we structure the session and then we give them the idea. So by the time it comes to a Wednesday and it's their turn to lead, they know what purposeful practice is. So two or three defenders might go off and work on heading and blocking and um, stepping in and winning the ball and things like that. But they know how to structure it to make it look realistic, not just someone standing 60 yards away, smashing the ball in the air and I'm going to go and head it. It's purposeful practice. So they know now what a purposeful session looks like that's going to improve them. And then we just as coaches just go around each unit. So I might even just work with an individual. So yesterday I work with an individual for 20 minutes, just on playing off a bounce board, having a touch out of his feet and playing into a passing goal. And he must have had, what, I reckon 50, 50, 60 passes in 20 minutes. So they're not just doing it for the sake of it. They're working out an intensity as well. Um, How do you get then, that part? Because I, you know, I, I've done this bit before and some of the lads really engaged with it. Some of them really loved it, loved the detail and going. Others were a little bit like, and again, this isn't in a academy setting to be fair, it's in a college type programme. But others, for example, would just be like, I'm just going to try and smash it down the middle of the goal. So how do you make sure the intensity to all those practices are there? I think it's, it's not kind of like, like I said, I'll, I'll walk around it. So I'll walk around each group and I'll be there. And I think sometimes just having the presence of a coach, then you know that you have to, you have to do it. So if it does tail off a little bit, I might step in and I might just go in and speak to the group, or I might just speak to an individual and say, pull him out and say, look, we need to do more. You need to do more here. This needs to be a little bit more intense because you're not working in intensity that is purposeful practice again, which you keep going back to. And to be fair, they, they don't, they don't, they're like, yeah, okay. And they go back in and it picks up again. Um, I've been at a club, a professional club where I've done it. I've said to the group, right, individual stuff, go out and do it. I've gone out 20 minutes later and there's footballs flying everywhere, going over the fence, people just smashing balls in the goal. So sometimes, for me, that, that day there was a really big learning curve for me of do players actually know how to practice individually? Do you know I mean? Because we, we think as coaches, well, they, they do. They're in an elite environment. Players know how to practice with a purpose and know how to structure a session. So from that day onwards, I just I thought, right, I'm, when I do this, I'm going to lead it. I'm going to put these practices together and give them some ideas. And then all of a sudden in their, their mindset is they know what a practice looks like or what they need to do to, that's going to give them some purpose from. Do you know what I'm saying? So it, it, it's sometimes as coaches, we've got to be really careful of how we do this and give players ownership because, like I said there, that time I did it, it was an absolute car crash. And I was thinking, my God, what have I done here? And it's balls flying everywhere, going over the fence. I think there must have been, I think there was a bag of like 30 footballs out there. When I went out, there was like four out there. They were all over the fence. Um, it was just unbelievable. I just thought, okay, I need to revisit that. And I need to, I need to structure that better. Because again, I just thought players, they've been in the environment for 10 years. They know what, what to do, but they didn't. You know, and that's kind of where we've got to manage that situation again. So that was a big learning curve for me. So I've just done it in a way now where I'm going to lead some of it and they're going to lead the majority of it and they know what to do now, you know, and there's still times when I go out and 
I'll go around and I think that doesn't look right to me. So then I'll go in and say, how would you change the structure of this practice to make it more realistic to what you're going to do on a Saturday, whether it's a one v one situation, where it's going to be a header, where it's going to be a tackle, where it's going to be a pass. How are you going to structure this session? What changes would you make to this session now that's going to give it realism? So it looks like it does on a Saturday or a Sunday or whenever you play. That's, that's kind of where, again, the coach's skill set has to come in because they don't sometimes know what players don't know. I wouldn't say they don't know. They just don't have an idea of what it needs to look like sometimes. Another thing, and all coaches will relate to this, sometimes you design a practice in your head which you think is going to work and in reality it doesn't. <laughs> you know, it happens all the time. I, I remember there was one session I did um, last year and I did it on the Wednesday, couldn't work out why it didn't work. So did it again on the Friday and I just asked two coaches just to watch. I was like, can you explain to me why this session isn't working? Because I tried racking my brain and couldn't, couldn't figure it out. And it, it's, it was a real simple tweak. All it was was I needed an extra player in the middle section, which then created overloads and it all worked. But that's, you know, coaches will have that after 5, 10, 15, 20 years of experience. So asking lads who are, you know, 18 or 20 who play but don't coach to then try and nitpick maybe a really small tweak in a session to make it more realistic. There'll be times where they're going to go, I, I honestly don't know. I don't know how to fix it. Yep. Um, and as you said, that's where the, the support of going, we'll just move this five yards that way and you'll run, well, now we're going to put a time limit on it. Then all of a sudden they go, oh, this is much better. Yeah, that's it. That, and that's it. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of lot of coaches in this country that are outstanding coaches. You know, I think we've, we've got a lot of excellent coaches out there with lots of skill sets. And that's our job. Do you know what I mean? That's why we're in the positions that we are at clubs, all the way down from nine years old to under 23s. It's, the skill set is identifying the moments that sometimes these players need help. You know, I'm a big advisory for giving the players a responsibility, but also we have a responsibility as well as coaches to the players. We're deemed as the experts, you know, and for us, we need to tell players sometimes this is not going to work, you know, and like, like you just alluded to, it's that comes from experience, you know, the amount of sessions that you've put on and thought, this looks great. You know, there's mannequins everywhere, there's cones everywhere, I play this, and all of a sudden you start and you think, this has gone horribly wrong somewhere, do you know what I mean? And that's for experience, and that's how you learn, that's how you get better, that's how you improve, and, you know, and I've learned a lot over the years from my own mistakes and my own um, sometimes overcomplicating sessions, um, and that's the big thing, it's, it comes with experience, and that's what you just got to give these players sometimes is, opportunities to practice and they'll know for us it's to say well you might tweak this a little bit or you might move that mannequin now or you might move this pass this pass might need to come here because that's what you would do in a game situation that that pass would be more realistic if it comes from this angle to receive and um and then it builds their mindset it gets them to understand more so you know it's they can picture it and they can they can link it together what practice to the game does that make sense yeah, no, for sure. And this, this is a question I wanted to ask you. Um, it'd be interesting to hear your response. How big a gains do you think can be made at those scholarship and I guess under 23s age group 
type of stuff from technical practices or technical work because obviously tactical stuff we know we can still make quite a lot of difference to a player if they're willing to work at it same with physical physical stuff and I assume that to a degree the psychological stuff but technically how big a gains do you think uh, can be made in those age groups with dedication to practice and stuff I don't think um, I don't think you're ever too old to practice do you know what I mean it's why do players stay at the very very top level so if you go back to the very top player Cristiano Ronaldo what makes him the player that's made him because he practices every day individually Practice, practice, practice. Um, you know, like you say, the, the technical, the tactical stuff will come. That comes. You'll get that. You'll get a lot of that. But I don't think you can ever be old enough to, to stop practicing. You know, and if the very, very top players can do that, then 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, it means more than anything. You've got to practice because um, that's how do you get better and how do you fine tune very very basic at time the first team every day will stay and practice for half an hour whether it might be a little bit of unit work it might be just individual players will stay out and practice because if i can get another 50 shots off in 30 minutes you know 50 different finishes that's only going to benefit me you know it's then how do we apply the isolated practice into the opposed stuff so you know, I'll go back to a session a few weeks ago. We've got a centre-half who's um, 6'5". He's, he's, a, he's a physically, he's very strong. He's a good shape, but technically he needs to improve on the football. He needs to get better on playing into midfield and he needs to play a, a faster pass. He needs to play that. So, designed a practice where it was an unopposed, we only had a small group, um, and it was an unopposed technical practice, rotational practice. So it was like patterns, but I just kept him there. And I had 60 footballs. And all I did from the start of practice was I played into him. He had to have a touch out of his feet and he had to wrap a ball into the wide man. And that's all I wanted him to do for 50 minutes. And he must have had about 100, I think, I think we counted it was about 120 passes. Okay. And it was off both feet. He had to receive off both feet. He had to pass off both feet. But it was um, a group practice, but very much focused on him. So I was conscious of today, I'm going to work with a group, but I'm going to focus on him and get him ready. So if it was, if I, if my mindset was to kind of work with the group more and go and work with the group higher up or work with more individuals, then he may not have got that many opportunities to make that many passes or receive that many times. But I was really conscious of he's going to start this off every time. So I want him to get better at that. And he knows he needs to get better than that. So we just did it. Repetition, 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 repetition. So it was isolated practice, but within a group structure. And that's how we did it. And like I say, I think he, he must have had over 100 passes within 45 minutes. So it's only going to do one thing and that's going to improve him. Only gonna, and it's filmed, the session was filmed so he can revisit it, he can look at it he can pick part, bits apart what were the good passes, what were the detail of the passes how quick it needs to be what, did it, what was his body shape like when he received so all these little bits that's one thing I've learned over the years is structuring a session that's going to focus on key individuals but also doesn't take away the focus from the group when it needs it I think 
well, in my opinion, this is kind of an idea that's changing slightly because I know there was talk a few years ago which Wenger came out and said, if you can't control the ball by like 14, <laughs> you're never going to be able to type of deal. Um, and I think if you look at someone like Bielsa at Leeds, they come out quite a lot of the time and say how much he improved them by those individual bits. Um, and you can see in like the way that they obviously work, the type of runs they make and all that type of stuff. But one of the big things for me is that you look at someone like Ben White in terms of his passing range kind of improvements and stuff. And I think before we might have said you get to that scholars age group, you get to 23s, you've, you've got what you've got and you've got to make the best of it. Whereas it seems like now there's more of a thing to go, actually, if you've got a very basic level of footballing ability, which anyone in a scholarship programme has, if you apply the time and, like you say, in purposeful practice, you can actually make quite big gains over those four or five years. I don't know what your opinion on that is. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I kind of reflect back to when I was a kid and... You know, this was a long, long time ago, but um, the best part or the best tool I had, learning tool, was a brick wall. That was the best learning tool because every time you played against the wall, it come back differently, but it was high repetition. So I know it sounds very, very basic, but sometimes we look at the modern day game, it's still football. It's still uh, the nuts and bolts of passing, receiving, dribbling, tackling, heading. You know, and some say that it's, it's, it's a dying art, some of these, these things are in the game, but they are still part of the game. And it's, for me, it's, it's isolated practice. It's repetition. So, you know, people talk about talent over, um, sorry, I'm trying to think of it. So it's talent and um, practice. So are you naturally talented or do you need to practice to get, to become talented as such? So for me, I look at it as, yeah, you have to have an element of natural ability, you know, and, you know, every player you think you take into the academy system has an element of natural ability. That's why you take them. But how do you get a master of something? So we always talk about players needing to improve on certain aspects of the game. Why do we always focus on that? Why do we not say, work at what you're good at and become an absolute master of it? Do you know what I mean? Because that could get you a career in the game, something that you might not even get. Why are you working on something that may not ever improve you or you might not get become even or I'd say um, you're never going to improve a lot on you might get better but it's not going to you never become a, a master of that but you could become a real master of this of what you're good at and this mm -hmm. may get you over there you go the prime example do you know what I mean he he wasn't a runner with the ball he wasn't a dribbler but what he did was he practiced every day on what he was good at and look what it did to him and look at, look at the career he had so I think, yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big adversary for practice. Do you know what I mean? Practice, practice, practice. Because someone said to me many, many years ago, and it's always stuck in my head, it's practice makes you the player. The game's the proof that you are the player. Yeah, and that's, I've, it's always stuck in my mind. And, you know, everyone wants to play in games. Everyone wants to play games. And everyone says the game's the teacher. For me, I agree with that to a certain extent because it teaches you something different. But practice will make you the player. Whether that's isolated practice, whether that's team practice, that's going to make you the player it is because it's repetition. How much you do of it. 
you know, and then you just got the skill set then to go and apply it in games. And then that's our job as coaches to teach them how to, when and where to apply that skill within the game. And sometimes they will work it out for themselves, you know, and I'm not saying they won't work it out in games, not to have games, not just to have games within sessions, you know, kids, kids, players want to play games, you know, when are we having a game, when are we having a fireside, you, you know yourself, it's when are we doing this, but with it, it's got to be, I'm a big, big, big fan of practice, 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 because that fine tunes the mind. It, it puts you in them scenarios and you can guarantee that the way you receive it sometimes in a practice is going to be in a game. So you, it's how you apply that in the game and how you're effective with that in the game. So um, that's kind of the way I look at it. And that's just my own, you know, my own opinion. And that's the, it's the balance. It's how you balance it all out. I guess one of the challenges for you in your role is getting um, players in ready for the first team environment. As you alluded to there, you've got some lads that have obviously gone and trained and come back down and stuff. I imagine it's challenging in terms of making them ready for that step up, but also cha challenging in terms of it's a slightly different environment as well. Obviously, at your level, whilst you want to be competitive and you want to compete and obviously... I don't care what anyone says, everyone wants to win. If you're playing a game, you want to play to win. Mm -hmm. There's also a high level of development within that process and within that, you know, programme. Whereas when you go to a first team level, although like you said there, they're doing extras to improve, ultimately it comes down to a Tuesday night or Wednesday night and how you're getting on. Um, and in those environments at times, it can be quite brutal in terms of with managers or senior players or anything like that how do you prepare your lads for that type of step up and expectations going into there and all that type of stuff um it's a good question it's it's just getting them as close as you can um it's just trying to get them as close as they can to that environment that they know what to expect when they go into it um and by that i mean that when they go into that environment there's nothing there that's new to them. Obviously, there's going to be certain things that are new to them. The tempo is going to go up 20, 30, 40%. They know that. And sometimes we, we can't do anything about that in our environment. But what we've got to get them ready for is this now changes from development to winning. You've got to know if you want to stay in the, in the side and you need to be here, you need to know what you need to do to win as well. So there are elements about player development when you go into that environment, but now it becomes real. Now you're in the real world. This is survival now, whether it's your team staying up or your team winning the league or your team getting promoted, which is going to get you a bigger contract or a move to a bigger club or you being released. So what we try and do is um, I'll give you, I've got a, a prime example of this, uh, a second year scholar, um, last year, uh, you probably won't mind me saying it. His, his name's John Freeman. Got to the end of the season, he broke his leg. He'd had a really, he'd had two really bad injuries um, the previous eighteen months of his scholarship, and he only came back into the fold probably last October. So he had an extension already on on his scholarship contract, which was to he had a, an extra six months. Um, and he got to the end of the season, and he was playing regularly in the twenty threes. Technically, a really gifted player. Really good footballer. Um, just lacked a little bit of mobility and lacked at times um, 
the physicality to deal with it looked like the professional game um, but he could handle the football he was, he's a really good footballer and um, I sat down with him at the end of the season he sat down with the academy manager and he said look it's going to be a no to a professional contract but you can um, you can stay for the extra six months of your contract and sit out and try and turn the manager's mind around his, his thought process so I sat down with him and he, was, he said, you know, what do you think I should do? And I said, look, ultimately at the end of the day, it's down to you. You can leave and go and find another club or try to find another club. Or you can stay, come back, stay for six months and see where it takes you. But you need to do this. If you're going to get yourself over the line, I said, from my experiences and working within the game, this is what you need to go away and fix and get right. And it wasn't just what he needed to improve on. It was what he needs to get better at that he's already good at. Do you know what I'm saying? So... He went away, he came back pre-season, started off in the first team squad. I think he was two weeks, he was, it was quite a slow start for him. He played in a few pre-season games and then started the season. <laughs> it was really bizarre conversation. First team manager came over and said, look, he had a few injuries. They were playing Coventry in the um, Carabao Cup on the Saturday. He said, He's, I'm going to start him. He's a left-footed, football, left-footed player. I'm starting him right inside of a back three. Right, so it was like, wow, okay, but it was one of these sink or swim moments. This could go really well for him, or this could be a complete nightmare for him. He was excellent. He was outstanding. Um, he played left hand side of a back three. He was brilliant. Then I think the next game they went away. He played. Uh, he came on against Northampton a week later, made two goals, and now he's just earned himself a two year contract. So the mindset of him changed and it's all because he understands now what the environment is about of being a professional footballer and what he needs to do to survive within the game. So to go back to your question, it's trying to get them as close as you can so when they go in that environment, it's not so much of a catch-up. They're not catching up all the time or it's too big a gap for them to deal with. It's, there's going to be new things and new things sprung on you very, very quickly. And you're going to need to know or you're going to need the skill set to take this on really quickly because you haven't got time. If you want to get in that first team squad or you've only got a year's contract, you haven't got a lot of time. So you need to get up to speed quickly of taking information on board, understanding what the information looks like or how to deal with the information because you, you know yourself, first team managers, they expect to tell you the information and you to get it straight away. There isn't well, we'll give you six months to deal with that. It's You need to know now. If you're going to play on my team, you need to know now. So for us, it's, look, we're never going to get the finished article. We're never going to get the, but what we've got to say is, when you go in here, this is what it's going to be like. This is what's going to be expected to you. You need to make sure that you're ready for what's coming your way. And there are going to be some surprises that you haven't learned from your time as a scholar. But what you can do is learn that quickly. Or you can say, I've had a little bit of experience of that as a scholar. But now I know I've got a little bit of knowledge of how to deal with that. And then you just layer it on top, really. So for us, it's, you're never going to get really the finished article. Some you will. You get your, your players that will go and be naturally just gifted in it. But, you know, I'll go back to a player at our club, Deli Alley. That's one for you that's just naturally went into the environment, flourished, and obviously look where he is now. Um, you're going to get them. But then they're few and far between, I would say. Um, you just got to get them as close as you can to that environment 
with the with with a, a toolbox as such that's ready for it. And would you pass on um, information about them as a person and stuff before as the first team managers coming in? So obviously you mentioned before how you've got to know the person, what type of feedback they like, how they interact around the others. So you, the person we mentioned earlier in terms of didn't really like confronting in the group, but one-to-one -one off the pitch really like it. Would you let the first team manager know that? before he goes up or would he already be aware of that or is it just kind of that's great but you've got to be able to come in and do the job as well um yeah one thing we are very fortunate to have uh, at the club is first team manager will take the players a lot you know i'll go back to the back end of last season the scholars and uh, the young lads spent a lot of time with the first team so straight away he's got eyes on them so it doesn't necessarily sometimes need the feedback from me. He sees it firsthand. So he can make a judgment quite quickly. Um, you know, and that's where we're very, very fortunate at the football club that we have our pathway where the first team manager is not afraid to bring him in, you know, and, and bring him into the environment. So they get, he gets to see him straight away. So he can get to see, are they the right fit for my system? Uh, do they fit the profile of what I'm looking for in my first team squad? And are they going to be um, are they going to be good enough to handle the environment? What's their mentality like? We will just feed the information as well, so we will back it up, or we will say, "Well, he's great with this, and you haven't quite seen the best of him there." And it might be because he's coming to the environment and he's a little bit nervous, or he might be um, doing too much to impress. So we do kind of the one thing that he does is he trusts our opinion. And, and the manager's a, a vastly experienced player. You know, he's been an international and this is his first role. So he he has a mindset of he knows what he wants. He's got a way of wants he wants to play. Got an amazing trust in the young lads of them coming into the environment. And when they come into that environment, he makes them feel welcome, you know, and he's, he encourages them. He looks after them. He makes sure that it's done the right way with them and that's all you can ask and then it's down to the players when they go into that environment because I say to them when you go into that environment it just takes one moment of brilliance or one moment of something that catches his eye and next thing you know that could catapult your career that's all you need it's just one moment that changes the mindset so I go back to John Freeman he had one moment he had uh, one game that changed the mindset of the manager and he's earned himself a contract so when you go into there, into that environment, or when you're in this environment, not just the first team environment, when you're in there, don't waste a minute. Don't, don't give an excuse not to work hard. Don't use an excuse not to do the right things every day. Because one little piece, one little moment, the first team manager might be looking over or just walking past the session and you do something and all of a sudden, you don't know how he's going to react to that. He might be like, why? This happened in my environment. Let's put him in here. Do you know what I mean? So, some, like I said, we're very fortunate at the club, and, it's, and it happens at a lot of clubs. You know, we're seeing more and more players get through the system now and get into the first team squad, and and long may that continue. Um, but we're very fortunate that every day we have players from our group in with the first team. You know, and they get lots of opportunity. And how important do you think the senior pros are in that environment? Because I imagine if if they're coming into a lack of a better word, a toxic environment where 
there's a massive blame culture or everyone's constantly on each other's back for a young kid coming in who, you know, you can do all the preparation you want. If you've got a 29 year old pro who's an international having a pop at you constantly, mm. it, will, it will wear thin after a while compared to if you've got some senior pros that are competitive and stuff, but manage the group quite well in terms of going, maybe ease off him a little bit or let him know the standards but in the right way how important do you think the senior pros are in that environment to make sure that it's done correctly yeah uh, they're vital um again going back to my own experiences as a player going into a first team environment playing with senior pros it was very old school you had to be up to speed quickly if you weren't they let they'd let you know do you know what i mean and it wasn't just a you know a, a a small volley, it was a proper volley. Do you know what I mean, you got a, a lot of verbal, you know, not abuse, I'd say it was that's the wrong word to say, but it, it was tough. Do you know what I mean? And I played my debut was alongside Graham Roberts, he was ex Tottenham centre half, hard man, and it was tough, you know. But you either sink or swim, do you know what I mean? You've got to understand this is you're coming into our environment here, and you know, my job's on the line at times. You know, whether we, we could be struggling here, we could be in a relegation fight. So there, there is an element of understanding you're going into a different world now. You're going into the real world. It's jobs on the line and um, you know, status on the line and things like that. So you, you have to understand. But also, I think the, the, the mentality's flipped now. You know, it's a lot more acceptance when young lads come over. I think players accept more that it's going to take a little bit of time. Do you know what I mean? So... At times, they do go after the young lads if they're not doing it, and rightly so, because it's, it's getting them to understand you've got to lift it again and get to our level or get to the standard that this is the environment you're coming into. But we have um, we have Dean Lewington in our first-team squad. who's played, I think, last week was something like his 700th and 70th appearance for the club. Do you know what I mean? So you're talking about somebody there who's a legend at the football club. Um, played an incredible amount of league games, you know, and our boys go in there and he is, you can see when he speaks to him, you know, he's, he's tough on them at times, but also the information he gives them, the feedback he gives them, the way he speaks to them is invaluable to these players. And it's, I'm like, when he speaks to you, you take it on board because his experiences and what he's achieved and his longevity in the game is not by fluke. It's by, he's learned quickly. So when he says something to you about, well, you might think about doing that, take it on board straight away, absorb it, understand it, because it's going to get you a career. So we've got the first team squad are really, really good at NK. And, and a lot of clubs have been at, there's a lot of the pros are brilliant with the young lads. And you're always going to get probably a pro that is going to give them a, a real hard time. But sometimes that's not to be horrible. It's to test you. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's not to say they don't rate you or they don't like you. Sometimes you go into an environment and it may not be on the pitch. It might be off the pitch in the dressing room. You know, it might be a pro taking the mick out of you a little bit and in the right way just to test you and see how you deal with the environment. Do you know what I mean? And um, it's, I think, I think the mindset's changed now, you know, and uh, a lot of our boys go in there and they come back and they come back with more experience. Do you know what I mean? Of playing with the pros every day and, seeing how they, what, how they prepare themselves and what they do. And it's just, you know, we, we, we try and set up workshops at our place where um, 
you know, players will spend an hour or so with the players that play in their position in the first team. So just get a gauge of what they see, how they look at the game, what they do, what they learn, how they conduct themselves. Um, and I can I can can't speak highly enough of the, of the players, the first team players at our place, and because they they've just looked after our boys when they've gone in there. But you know they've it's been a little bit of tough love at times. It's been difficult. They've they've had a little bit of a pop sometimes, and rightly so. It's just to say, come on, if you want to be in this environment, and stay in this. This is the standards you've got to maintain every day, and and stay it as best you can. And they don't let them drop below it, you know. And that's that's the next bit for them. And, you know, having that drive, like, like you said, you've got someone like Dean Linton who's giving you information, that might be the extra thing to go and do that purposeful practice. That might make you stay out 20 minutes longer than you were going to, which might make the 0.1% difference, which then catches manager's eye, or you do that 2% better the next time and all that type of stuff. So I think having that drive there is what's important. I like the idea of the workshop, though, as well, in terms of, you know, just being able to sit down with a pro and go, well, what are you seeing there? Or what could I do differently? And having that feedback, as you said, from more experienced people seems like quite a good good process in place. Yeah, it's, listen, they have, believe it or not, it's quite busy at times. It's quite hard sometimes to piece it all together. Um, but they're quite, we're very lucky that they are willing to kind of give them their time. Do you know what I mean? And, I think that speaks volumes and it's not just the, where I currently am at the moment. There's a lot of clubs that have done that I've been at and, you know, and there's a, there's an interest in the, in the boys, you know, and a lot of the players do ask how the boys getting on, what they're doing, how, what they're doing. And there is a keen interest in it. So it's great. Um, but like I say, it's for us where I'm currently in my position and the next step for them is what I call the real world. You know, there's no, there's no next step for them. They're not going to have like another age group and then they're going to go from this age group to this age group. It's going into the real world. If you're going to get the next bit is a professional contract. So this is the environment you're going into and it's, it, you're going to survive. If you want a career and you want that longevity in the game and spend 10, 15 years in the game, then you've got to be ready. You know, there's no, you know, it's okay. It's, it's all right. We'll go easy on you. You've got to, you've got to be ready. Um, you know, and the game's changed a lot over the years, but I think that mentality is still the same. You know, and I think that'll never leave. It's it's a competitive world. There's more and more players out there. You know, there's more players at the top level, at the bigger clubs, you know, that are not all going to get in their team, first teams and become pro. So where do they go now? Will they come down the leagues? So you're battling against that. You know, there might be another player in non-league football. There might be players coming up underneath you in the younger age groups. Do you know what I mean? So there's a lot of pressure on young players um, from outside influences as well. Do you know what I mean? And that's, that's where we are with it. But we just try and say the next step for you now is the real, well, I keep alluding to the real world. It'll be a final question for me and I'll, I'll let you enjoy the rest of your day, which is um, who's the best player that you've played with or worked with or against and why? And then who's the best coach you've worked with or against and why? He's put me on the spot here, mate. Um, <laughs> best player I played with. Oh, my God. I played play with some... I'm very fortunate during my career, I suppose, to play with some unbelievable footballers. Um, best I played with. Best I probably played with uh, was a, a player called Jason Bowen at Newport County. He played... Uh, he was a Welsh international. 
He was, uh, I think, he, I played with him probably at the back end of his career. So I think he must have been like 33, 34. Um, really small set winger. If you looked at him, he, he, he was just, there was no muscle on him. He was just really kind of, um, but he played, he had a brilliant career. I think he played at Swansea, Cardiff, Southampton, Reading. I think he played for Wales maybe five or six times. Just an unbelievable footballer. Um, could tear, could just tear any fullback apart. Just, you know, you could, if you Google him, if you went on YouTube, there's loads of stuff of him on there, you know. He, uh, nutmeg fullbacks by backing it through the legs and stuff. And he wasn't one of these with, uh, step overs or something. He was, uh, he was just a very old fashioned winger. Just use the old fashioned inside chop, outside chop, but he'd just tie you in knots. And sometimes you'd be playing and you'd just be like, wow. I mean, just stand back and think, my God, what a, what a player and what a player he must have been in his prime. Do you know what I mean? He probably. You know, I probably wouldn't mind me saying, I, for me, I don't think he ever fulfilled his, his full potential because he could have played in the Premier League for years, you know, with the ability he had. Um, I don't know why that is, but, you know, I was just very, very fortunate to, to have two years with him and he was he was brilliant. And he was such a nice bloke as well, um, off the pitch. Um, yeah, he was he was a fantastic, fantastic player. He probably, he was probably one of, yeah, he probably just peaks it a little bit or just that fine margin, yeah. What about coaching, coaches you work with or against? Um, I've been, again, the last, uh, there's too many to mention. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say there's somebody really that has really stood out. I've just been very fortunate to have worked with some outstanding coaches, seen some outstanding coaches. I, I wouldn't say there was one I really looked up to, but I've just been very, very fortunate what I've been coaching now, 12, 13, 14 years now. I've just been very, very fortunate over my career to have seen some of the best coaches, watched some of the best coaches, work with some of the best coaches, I feel, coach educators. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to, I'm sitting on the fence here, mate, big time, do you know what I mean? But um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say, you know, I've had, a, I've had the fortunate um, of watching Eddie High work when I was at Bournemouth and watching how detailed he is and what he does away. He's, he's an unbelievable up-and-coming coach, you know, and I'm sure he'll be back in the game of coach educators, you know. I'm fortunate, to, I've been very fortunate again to work with somebody like Steve Rutter, do you know what I mean, at, at Yeovil. He was my head of coaching. He's probably one of the best coach educators this country's produced, do you know what I mean? He's worked on uh, Dick Bay and, and things like that, so he's only going to benefit you. Um, Bruce Sirachi at Bournemouth, do you know what I mean? A brilliant up-and-coming head of coaching, coach. Um, work with him. Uh, Lee Johnson at Barnet, brilliant coach, educator, coach. Do you know what I mean? Um, there's loads out there and, I, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to cover them all, but I've just been very, very fortunate. You know, I'm in an environment now where I work with someone like John Goodman and Stephen Payne, who's head of coaching, who are, who are brilliant to work with. Do you know what I mean? And John challenges you every day and, you know, he's had a, a career in the game and he's a brilliant, you know, I'm not just saying he's a very, very, um, I'm trying to think of the word for John, but he's very kind of um, structured in what he wants and how he does it. And if he sometimes is not doing it, he'll challenge you. Do you know what I mean? He'll ask you questions and I've got Stephen Payne on working with his head of coaching that is very kind of um, probes you, prompts you, asks you questions and, 
and challenges you in the right way. And I think, you know, and I've just been very fortunate, you know, that I've, you know, someone like, you know, yourself, Paul Tisdale, someone like that, been able to work with him and watch him work over the years. And yeah, I've just been very fortunate, mate, you know, and I, I'm sorry I can't really answer the no, question. No, that's fine. You can Because I've just been, I've just been very fortunate and a lot of these people have put me are put me where I am today, you know, and that's a lot of it's come from hard work, but it's also kind of learning off these people that, you know, I've just, yeah. And long may it continue. And I'm sure along the journey, I'll, I'll meet even more people. You know, I, I've not got someone that I really, I respect everybody within the industry because you know yourself, mate, it's a hard industry to be in. Um, and it's a, you're fortunate to work in it because it can quite easily, football can change drop of a hat, you know, and, the last six months have taught me that with, with the lockdown because a lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of people have been made redundant, you know, and we're still the fortunate ones that are still working in the game. Do you know what I mean? And there's a lot of good, good people. You know, I've lost a lot of good people from my staff at, at MK that have been made redundant. And, and that's the way the climate is. But, you know, there's some outstanding coaches out there and outstanding practitioners that are out of, out of work at the moment. So, I'm very fortunate to have had the career up to date where I am. Um, and, you know, I, I just, I learn every day, you know, and I keep pushing myself every day to, to become the best I can be. Um, and improve, and it's not just improve myself. I want the players to, to be the best they can be in it. You know, if I play a small part in that, in their development and getting them over the line and them having careers in it, then that's what the job's about for me. Perfect. Listen, Chops, I'll let you go there. Um, obviously, we didn't get to talk about any of your previous jobs or any of your playing or anything like that. So, uh, hopefully, at some point, we can get you on again to go through that other stuff. But some yeah. great insights into the, you know, the PDP phase and kind of the work that's being done and stuff. So, really appreciate your time. and hope no you worries, mate. Thank you for having me. I love that. It's brilliant. Yes. Catch up soon, mate. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.